Welcome back to the Align Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and this is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts on all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's gorgeous conversation was with my new friend, Garrett. Garrett is an engineer. He is a neuroscientist. He is uh, somewhat brilliant, somewhat like prodigy-like. This conversation, we go into all things electrical stimulation. I'm sure you guys have seen people using e-stim tools of various different sorts, maybe on airplanes, maybe at physical therapy clinics. Uh, you may have been exposed to someone using a PEMF machine, pulsed electromagnetic frequencies. I don't know if you know the difference between alternating currents versus direct currents and the various different systems that we have at our disposal for healing injuries and much more. This conversation gets into exactly that. Everything that you would need to know about electrical stimulation to heal what ails you, uh, we provide in this conversation with neuroscientist and engineer Garrett. He's also the author of the book, The New Fit Method, and is the inventor of the Newbie device. So I'm really excited to share this with you guys. The world of e-STEM devices is is rife with confusion, and um, I think this is a great opportunity for us all to learn a little bit more. I want to thank you guys for leaving reviews. I want to thank specifically, like re reading a review in each episode, just as a specific thanks to y'all. Comes from Victoria Yoga, and she says, "Yep, mm -hmm. this Aaron guy knows what's up." Very simple, to the point. Appreciate your reviews. It's very kind, and I read all of them, and it helps the algorithm and the gods know that people are listening to this. So appreciate y'all very much. Thanks for doing you. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get to it with my guy, Garrett. I want to get into what brought you to this field in general. And then also, but starting off with just like, what the heck is electrical stimulation therapy? It's a good, good place to start. Because <laughs> I think that, you know, I don't know. There's probably lots of interpretations for it out there. I think there's like the e-stim devices and then maybe there's like, maybe you tried like an alternating current device or maybe you tried a direct current device or, you know, but the, the or a PEMF device. There's a lot of different acronyms. A lot of ways um, to introduce energy into the body. Yeah. And in order for this one to make sense, I think that we really have to do a little bit of a preface here by talking about the nervous system and how important the nervous system is. And you've covered this, you know, in your book, in your podcast, obviously. So, so your listeners are familiar with how the nervous system controls movement via coordination patterns and tension or relaxation of muscles. And, and our brain will choose to allow or not allow certain ranges of motion based on whether it perceives those to be safe. And the neurological response to injury and trauma is particularly interesting and important because a lot of the reasons we have protective tension, can't get into ranges of motion is because we experience various injuries and traumas over the years or we develop bad habits and our, and our brains and nervous systems create tension to lock us into this box of what's perceived to be safe. And in order to get outside that box, we have to create the inputs into the brain and nervous system to show that it's possible to go there without getting hurt to explore those edges and those boundaries. And of course, you're very skilled at doing that and coaching others to do that through movement. And what we're trying to do is, is create the underlying neurological foundation to allow people to do that, to, to recalibrate what the brain perceives as safe and what the brain will allow to happen so that it's not as 
much of you know as as much of the feeling as it sometimes can be of fighting an uphill battle to get mobility and that new range of motion or to be able to strengthen and activate certain muscles because a lot of times we have that capability within us our brains just prevent us from accessing those and so what we're really trying to do is take a different approach to electrical stimulation and applying this electromagnetic energy to the body so that we can specifically talk to the brain and nervous system in order to address these types of things. And so so traditional alternating current device or traditional electrical stimulation devices like you mentioned, you know, they are alternating current. So the TENS, Russian stim interferential, you know, virtually everything that's out there that people are familiar with is an alternating current device. And the issue is no, there, there can be benefits at low levels. They certainly have been able to allow people to you know, increase blood flow, get some muscle activation, do some things. But when you turn them up to a high enough level to really make a difference in neuromuscular function, to try to get a therapeutic or training effect, when you turn those up to a high enough level, as that signal alternates, alternating current goes back and forth, positive, negative, positive, negative. It causes muscles to protect and co-contract, causes the body to move. Like if you were driving your car, hitting the throttle and the brake pedal, at the same time. So we're actually increasing stiffness. We're reducing efficiency. Instead of becoming more pliable, we're becoming more stiff. We want to be able to bend but not break, but this is setting up the body to be in a stiff state where, where it's more apt to break. Hmm. And with direct current, we're able to do two really wonderful things. One is bypass a lot of those contractions so that we can Instead of just causing, especially those protective co-contractions where the muscles on both sides are, are fighting each other, like you're hitting the throttle and the brake pedal at the same time, bypass those so that instead of, instead of getting those protective muscle contractions, we're getting a profound input into the nervous system so that we can activate the brain and nervous system, activate these pathways to create change in coordination and in pain, in how the brain and nervous system control and coordinate movement in the healing process and in the autonomic nervous system and it, how it controls you know virtually everything about the the body and our overall health and well-being so so we're able to use direct current to bypass a lot of that contraction to talk more meaningfully to the nervous system and there's also known benefits of using direct current to accelerate tissue healing so both the the functional working in that functional realm of the trying to you know get ne- the neuromuscular system to optimized to work how we wish it to work. And then structurally, there's a way to get the the body's tissue healing processes working faster, more optimally, so that if there is any damage, you know, if someone comes in with an injury, a sprain, strain, tear, or whatever, um, it can help speed up the healing process. So mm. uh, interesting history, direct current, the, you know, these benefits were known 40, 50 years ago, but there was always an issue where it would sting and burn the skin. And so that's why it just got thrown out, they got cast aside altogether. And in its place came alternating current that, that took over. And part of the special sauce here is being able to take this direct current signal, get it into the body, but without any of the, any of the stinging and burning. So you have the comfort of alternating current and you get these benefits of direct current. So, so from so direct current would be something like you're getting from the sun or something you're getting from a candle and then alternating current, which these might be totally two totally different paradigms. I'd be curious to see if there is any, any crossover. Um, but that would be something that's coming from like a light bulb, or, you know, the electricity moving through our house. It's like f- flipping real fast, yeah. <laughs> alternating current, which from past episodes that I've done with, with various different people, that's like we did one with uh, a building biologist called, 
what is his name? Andrew Hoyer, I think was the one. Uh, and just talking about how that's, that can be really, really kind of like aggravating, like a disturbance to the, nerv- the, to the nervous system. Whereas when you have that direct current, you go out and sit with the sun or you know, with a candle, whatever it is, there's something soothing about it. Is there any relationship with that as far as electrical, electrical stimulation devices or not at all? I love that. I love that metaphor because, yeah, we've adapted with sunlight and fire and we're, we, you know, when, when our body's exposed to those wonderful infrared and v- various wavelengths, you know, it, it has these awesome, healing, wonderful properties, whereas more fluorescent light bulbs, you know, can be stressful. It's irritating. Be, yeah. Yeah. It's like walking uh, into a Walmart midnight. <laughs> you know yeah it's like you you feel the light coming in it's like it's it's really it's 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 like almost painful yeah Uh, and that that that's a really good metaphor i love that i honestly i wish i had thought about it thought to use that it's a wonderful metaphor because our bodies conduct naturally with direct current and so it actually is a lot more congruent a lot more very yeah very congruent matches yeah yeah native would be a fine it really mimics it's native you know are the signals that we're sending on our own and Alternating current, you know, would be like if you're on a highway, if you're going northbound and then there's traffic the other way going southbound, that's how our nervous system works. There's there's one direction of flow here, and then there's a separate pathway with another direction of flow. You don't, in a properly functioning highway system or nervous system, you don't have traffic going the same way, that going both directions on the same pathway, right? There's one here, there's one there. And when you introduce that alternating current signal, there are some issues around that because it is it is confusing and that's part of why it causes these protective things i think that's a great metaphor to think of it as like being exposed to fluorescent light as opposed to natural sunlight i really love that metaphor actually the more i think about it the more i think it really applies and from your perception and experience and research and history in in this field i wonder your thoughts on what pain is because i think there's pains are really broad broad and broadly subjective term and experience for different mm-hmm. people you know and you can't it's, it's impossible for me to know what your experience is you know and your pain and like the, the the level of it and the magnitude of it and then there's, there's the psychosomatic relationships is it an emotional thing what's your perception of the experience mm-hmm. you know do you have a specific trauma with that that will kind of upregulate your response to it compared to just having say like a splinter in your foot you know so chronic pain fibromyalgia there's so many different layers to pain mm-hmm. like what if i just ask you what is pain how do you respond to that the the one line i would say is pain is an active output signal created by the brain as the brain's way of trying to get us to change to do something different to to change our behavior and it's really cool it's this sort of intersection of neuroscience with psychology you know even spirituality i mean there's it's really really a, a rich topic the when I say it's the active output signal of the brain, it is pain. The experience of pain we know from neuroscience is created in the brain. So if someone says it's all in your head, you say, yes, yes, it is. And that doesn't make it any less real. That's where everyone experiences pain. And if you think about it, like, like if I was just in a car accident and, and broke my leg, my leg being painful there would be productive in the sense that you know, I don't really want to walk on this, right? Like I need to, I need to stay off it to let the bones heal if there were fractures or something like that. So, so pain is useful there because it tells me to, to stay away from it, to not use that leg while it's healing. The problem is that very, very, very often pain 
lingers, the, the experience of pain lingers even after that leg is healed when I don't need to protect it anymore, when I, I should be able to use it again, but my brain is still staying away from it, uh, still still signaling me to stay away from it by keeping that more chronic pain signal around. It's like you're rehearsing it. You're yeah. Practi- you're practicing the pain. Yeah. yeah. And and then if it turns into a CRPS, a complex regional pain syndrome, or you mentioned fibromyalgia or some of these more chronic pain conditions, that you know can be very debilitating. So it's important that we figure out how to interpret this experience of pain and do it in a way that's productive, that can help people who are dealing with chronic pain. Because there's a lot of times where, where we experience pain and we think it's because something's broken. We think that this knee pain or this shoulder pain is there because I have a, something is sprained or torn and I need to wait for it to heal or I need to get surgery to heal it. But you know, when you wait that time and it still hurts, there's, there's so many other things that can be happening here. So it's really, it's really cool and really instructive, I think, to unpack this because it can speak to the psychological source of pain. So there, there is a huge distinction between damage and pain. There can be, people can have damage. There's a great study. James Andrews, the famous orthopedic surgeon that works with all these athletes, was, was frustrated with the over-reliance on MRIs. And so he commissioned a, a small study to to get his fellow physicians to start to rely more on their clinical skills and experience. So he had 30 Major League Baseball pitchers get MRIs on their shoulder, and they were pain-free, no symptoms, no problems. They're yeah. throwing, making, you know, and they were all jacked thousand dollars. Yeah, 25 out of 30 of them had damage on an MRI that was serious enough to justify surgery, yeah. and yet had no pain, no symptoms, no problem. Yeah. And and if we look at the statistics, you know, 50% of people in their 50s have that that don't have any back pain at all. If you look at the the images of their spine, they have herniated discs, bulging discs, they have various problems that that should, you know, quote unquote should or would lead lead others to have pain and yet they don't have pain. So so there's a difference, you know, damage doesn't necessarily mean pain if it's not threatening, if that person's able to cope with it, then that's okay. The, the where we can really use that to help people is to look at the other side. What happens if you have pain but no damage? Then you, you have to try to solve this problem, but the place where most people look at that structural issue, you go to look there and that's not the source of the problem. So, okay, what could it be that's causing pain? Well, pain is a response to perceived threat. Those threats can be real or imagined. And so we're going to start looking at, okay, what else is causing you stress in your life? What's threatening? You know, if someone has an argument with their with their boss at work or an argument with their sp- uh, their spouse, they can feel threatened because you know losing one's job and source of income could literally be interpreted at a subconscious level as life threatening. Someone yep. could be thinking, "Oh shit! If I can't put food on the table, if I can't pay rent, what are we going to do? How am I going to feed my family?" And it, it actually has that level of emotional threat, and that can lead to pain. So, if someone if someone is in that situation or is reacting to foods. You know, has food sensitivities that's causing excess inflammation, isn't sleeping well, is dehydrated, has other life stresses. If they're, if that person's brain is trying to tell them, hey, you need to do something different, you need to change your behavior, you need to change your life circumstances, the best thing that that brain has to do that is, or one of the strongest tools, is pain. And if you put, if you think about it in that situation, would the brain choose to invest the energy to create some new random pain pathway, or would it use a well-rehearsed pain pathway. If something has been hurting before, it's easier for the brain to send pain there. So that's why a lot of times people have chronic pain in one or two places. And I ask everyone who's listening to kind of survey yourself. Like, think about, okay, if when I have pain, hopefully you don't have 
chronic pain regularly, but if, you know, if and when you do, is it usually in the same place or the same two places? And for most people, I think you'll, the answer is yes. Mm. That's because a lot of those, a lot of the pain is actually from non-physical causes and that that's just where the brain chooses to, to create that signal. I want to share something that has been invaluable to my sleep. That is magnesium from Mag Breakthrough. What I love about this stuff is it contains all seven different forms of magnesium. Magnesium is one of those things that we just need to supplement in modern culture. Kind of sadly, I would say, because it's largely devoid or deficient in our soil. So a lot of the food that you would typically get adequate magnesium from, it just doesn't have enough. So I take magnesium as a supplement and it's helpful with sleep. It's helpful with muscular repair, restoration, general healing of your nervous system, tonicity, and I really love the stuff. I think you guys are going to dig it. You can get yourself a sweet discount by going to magbreakthrough.com slash align podcast. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com forward slash line podcast. 15% off of your purchase. If you do not love this, if it does not improve your sleep, does not make you feel like a better person, then get your money back. 100% money back guarantee. Magbreakthrough.com forward slash align podcast. I think I've heard that if a person feels like outcasted from their their community, uh, you know, like you're you're fired or ending up a relationship or like I mean, you you most people probably have experienced like being broken up with that that actually registers similarly in the body as physical pain. And I've had that before where I've actually felt every like I said it like I would I would rather take like a broken bone over this sensation, you know, because it just it like hurts in like this deeper you know like it's it's it, it's a way that when you break a bone you kind of know what to do with it it's this mechanical thing You're like cool sweet you're gonna you know get a brace do some therapy it's like there's a path forward but that pain of separation it feels really similar and i think it clocks really similarly in the brain as well have you you heard that or does that resonate with you yeah it definitely does so there's this when, when we look neurologically look at, at brain images of people who are experiencing pain there's at least 12 major brain areas that light up. And, and part of what you said about how your experience of pain might be different from mine, might be different from his or hers or anyone else's, the ratio of those 12 brain areas, which is active, which is most active, which is least active, which are, are a little more or less active, will be different for different people. And that's part of why the experience of pain is so subjective. For some people, the, the part of the brain that's focused on planning for the future really activates. And so they think, Oh my God! This this disc happened again. Am I going to be able to walk again? Am I going to be able? Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to be able to get up in the morning? How's this going to happen to me? How's this going to affect my ability to do that activity or earn my income or do this or that? There's a lot of people who will project into the future if that part of the brain is active. There's emotional parts of the brain where people can become become angry, can become depressed and downtrodden. People can become you know more react differently, but it can have a really strong emotional color because yeah. of that. There's a there's a lot of variability within that and the the same parts of the brain that are associated with with you know physical pain and this pain experience definitely activate in that that experience of psychological pain and and heartbreak or something like that yeah and there's another really interesting corollary too like you you talk about i think that's a wonderful insight talk about how the pain of of separation of being outcast from the from the group from the tribe or being you know, broken up with by a loved one or something like that, how, how, how painful that can be. 
because we, we know or anticipate how painful that can be, we also establish a lot of fear around it. And, and fear is really interesting because it you know, has protective value, right? Like if me being afraid of a growling tiger like can be protective because it can prevent me from going up to it and getting eaten or being afraid of, of heights. If it prevents me from, from, you know, jumping off of a really high balcony that can save me from injury. So, so fear can be protective, but it can also be set too conservatively. And so that fear of like being outcast, that is what explains that's the underlying fear for why so many people, you know, the, 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 so they say the number one fear greater than death for many people is public speaking, right? You heard that? Sure. Yeah. And that, is because we think, oh my gosh, if I go up on, on stage and I look like an idiot, I'm going to be, be you know, outcast from the group. I'm going to be thrown out. People are going to laugh at me, ridicule me. They won't want to associate with me. And so it taps into that fear. And that, there's an example where we see of the fear is, is excessive. The fear is like, like, look, even if I go up there and do a, do a bad job, like, am I, is it really going to be as bad as as I fear it's going to be. Is it, am I really going to get kicked out of, you know, my, is my family going to disown me? Is my spouse going to divorce me? Am I, you know, probably not. Right. Unless yeah. you, unless you go up there and you just, I don't know, start talking about whatever, you know, light yourself I mean, on fire. Yeah. Self immolate. Yeah. Make a statement. Yeah. I mean, and so, <laughs> especially if it's a statement, you know, depending on, on who's listening, what they agree with. Yeah. yeah it's a powerful statement. But, Which would come back into the pain conversation as well. And being able to, to meditate yourself beyond the, the like the corporeal sensation of pain yeah you take yourself to a place where it's like ah that story of pain Mm -hmm. okay now i'm beyond that story i'm on to another story yeah and come to a place where you know you can be the guy that well to use the example of lighting yourself on fire self-immolates at a protest with just a a straight face the whole entire time compared to the person that's you know maybe stubs their toe or can't take getting into a cold plunge without completely flipping out you know yeah. It's, it's really interesting, the, the different scales and spectrums of pain and the subjective experience to each. And it shows a few things about how that individual's brain is working. It shows about what, you know, what they're focusing on, what their priority is. Like for, for the person who sets his or herself on fire, I mean, their devotion to that cause is greater than, than their experience of physical pain. So they, like you said, they can, pass, they can just totally like ignore it where, you know, someone else who's kind of ramped up, who's, you know, and having trouble handling stress, yeah, handling the cold shower can be very challenging. So it's a good pathway to to work on it, doing that and practicing staying calm. I feel like pain culturally, or maybe just individually for me, but I don't think I got really great education on understanding how to interpret pain. And it's more something that's like, you know, a distraction or something to avoid, you know, and it's like this disembodied thing. If it happens, you know, reach out for someone else to take care of it, as opposed to actually getting to know it and understand like what is this signal suggesting mm-hmm. and i think that again that comes back around to like what is your your stories of your your experiences of pain and so how does a person begin to parse out or, or or gain a relationship with the little aches and pains that they might have in their body to differentiate okay is it purely mechanical is there some misalignment which based off of what you're saying with like you know, the research that's been done with back pain and shoulder pain and knee pain and like not really seeing a clear, a clear connection when you run the MRI or get the x-ray mm-hmm. to the actual experience of the pain. You know, so it's really kind of nebul- nebulous and mysterious. Like, well, where, what is the source of this stuff? Because it's very real to the individual that's experiencing it. And then maybe it's an emotional thing. Like the, I like the idea of the, there's a fancier term for it, but like the idea of like a stress bucket mm-hmm. isn't my, my term. 
but we have so much you can think of yourself your nervous system is like a like a bucket and every stressor you add into that is fills up with water fills up with water fills up with water and you can contain so much stress until eventually it starts to spill out over and then you make this mess and so it's an interesting thing to start to be able to parse out and understand like what are the what is the the aggregate stressors that i'm experiencing to produce this flare of discomfort does that make sense is that like a sensible yeah, explanation that's an awesome we actually we have an image of the the threat bucket in my book here uh, oh, I, cool. I love that metaphor and the it's new fit method and that yeah and that's the whatever the stressor is in there whether it's whether it's physical injury trauma or whether it's something psychological it goes in the same bucket and as soon as it overflows the output is pain whether it's a physical or psychological or you know other type of input so that i love that metaphor i'm glad you brought that up and then if someone is experiencing pain and they don't know if it's if it's more physical or, or psychological related you know environmental life stress and or, can you or even se- is it even possible to separate them well it's sometimes it's not possible to separate them but it is possible to address them and and kind of figure out and get some insight into this i mean and that's that's part of you know part of where i think the new fit method and our our treatment approach can be helpful and I'll share why here because if you are if you're experiencing if you're experiencing some pain in your shoulder for example we know that's a response to to some perceived threat and so one of the things that we like to do is actually take you know we, we talked about direct current at the beginning of the the conversation here and how we're able to use it to interact with the nervous system in a unique way so one of the things we'll do is take that device and actually scan around on your body. We go through this mapping process. And what we're doing is we're sending a signal into the brain and nervous system to see how well it's accepting load in that area. If it's an area that's working well, you know, you can stretch it, you can use it to lift weights, contract those muscles. There's nothing, none of that is threatening or or poses any, any issue. And so it just feels kind of pleasant. But if we take move that pad around as we're going through the mapping process and we stimulate any areas where there is a hypersensitivity, a perception of threat, where your brain is trying to limit the output of that area, you're going you're gonna to react against it. It's going to feel more intense or uncomfortable, kind of feel like a trigger point. Yep. And, and that allows us to identify where that perception of threat is, whether that perception of threat is in response to, to physical trauma and injury because something's torn or broken or something's strained or, or sprained, or whether it's you're just holding tension, you're protecting there because of outside, you know, psychological stressors or things that we think shouldn't hurt. Whether regardless of where you're regardless of why you're hypersensitive and protecting in that area, we want to find where that is and work to address it. And then based on how you respond, we can start to get some clues here. So a lot of times we'll go through this process and people will, you know, that will feel better to shoulder, will will feel better, will work better right away. And the degree to which that happens tells us how much of that is is a functional response versus a structural response. If something is literally torn or broken, we'll go through this process, reduce that, recalibrate that perception of threat, but we won't make as big of a change. It's going to take longer because the tissues actually need to heal. Whereas we've had like a, you know, I mean, a lot of different cases of chronic pain, but even even there's this there's this really interesting theme of like the difference between structure and function and and, and tissue versus the neurological signals here. And so you know, we worked with one of the stories I, I tell in the book is we're in a athletic training room working with Division One football team, and there was one of the linebackers had five days prior had a had a grade two to two and a half separation in his AC joint, and he couldn't lift his arm more than about 35, 40 degrees, and he had that searing pain. 
So we went through this process, found spots, supraspinatus on top of the shoulder, teres on the more bottom of the rotator cuff complex there. And in, you know, we stimulated those muscles a few minutes. He got his arm up to horizontal. A few more minutes, he had his arm all the way up overhead. And he looked up and he said, what the beep did you just do to me? And there, you know, there he did have a little bit of tissue damage. Yes. You know, it was a, a minor tear, partial tear of the, of the ligaments, but the reaction there was his brain's, his nervous system's reaction with tension, pain, and inhibition, all of that there. And by helping to recalibrate and work through that, he got his arm all the way up. He was able to participate in workouts that week, that, that day, and play in the game that next week. Didn't miss any time when he thought he was going to miss a few more weeks. And that speaks to how, in that case, the pain, although it was a physical cause, it was still a, a hypersensitivity. It was an overreaction. He was reacting. One of, one of my favorite metaphors is to think about you know, if a snake were to come into this office where we're recording here, like a venomous cobra or python came in, for us to like scream and get up and run away, you know, could be protective. That type of fear could be, can be good. But if, if someone tosses in a rubber snake on the floor and we react just the same way, oh. it, it's an overreaction, right? And so, so trying, to, trying to figure out whether the reaction is, is from a physical or psychological stimulus, trying to figure out where the reaction is and recalibrate it, getting a handle on that really allows us to see, okay, how much of it is truly because of structural versus, versus some sort of functional issue, whether, whether physical or psychological. By, by getting a handle on that, it really gives us a clue of where it's coming from, how much of it is really from physical damage versus how much of it is from, you know, from the body's reaction. And then that helps us figure out you know, how, to, how to address it and approach it. Yeah. Or what if the, the rubber snake is a person that reminds you of a, a person that hurt you at some point a while ago. Yeah. Now, every time you see a, you know, whatever, a girl with blonde hair <laughs> that's around five ten, or, or, or a bearded man or whatever, like certain dogs, they'll have, they'll have adverse reactions to certain people. You know, they're great with everybody. And then suddenly there's one type of person that comes in and they freak out, you know? So for them, there's no objective threat there. It's their subjective experience of, of, you know, experiencing that rubber snake to be something to cause them to go into shock. As we're talking about the, the body bracing, you know, and being on the, on the throttle and the, and the brake at the same time, which I think is a great analogy. I think it's that analogy connects over to the, our fear that we have, the, the very common fear of, have, of being like disconnected from the tribe or being broken up with or being, you know, like out, you know, alone, being just that, that sensation of, of disembodiment or disconnection. And that's what we are doing when we're bracing around some joint. So there's a potential threat or fear that there's an indication that it's unsafe to move this joint through this range of motion because there's potential disembodiment that will ensue because we're not stable enough or supported enough or whatever it is. And whether that's a, a past story, you know, from at one point maybe it was a legitimate snake and now it's just this rubber snake that's haunting our shoulder girdle mm -hmm. or our back or our pelvic floor, whatever it may be. But it's an interesting thing that the same way that we respond in relationship to potentially, if we're in, say, some partnership with someone and we're in fear or threat of losing that person, our response probably isn't going to be like free love and ease and like nice full breath and you know it's probably not going to look like that it's probably going to look like jealousy and contraction and you know snooping through their phone and like you, you start to have all these adverse reactions and responses because fear of losing that relationship or disembodiment and it's a really interesting thing to me i, I think there's a there's a very direct connection of the way that 
you know, so so below. How's it go? As within, as without. So as, below, as within, as, as with, so, so without, so above. However it goes. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. How how you know at a at a neuromuscular you know cellular level, I think that we respond uh, very similarly in in the world and the way that we interact with our environment. That sound like some crazy shit. That sounds like. Uh excellent theory on humanity and i think that there's i think that there's a lot of a lot of evidence for that i mean there's a you know really wonderful work in the field of physiological psychology that i think supports exactly what you're saying and it's you know it's this it's a it's a two-way street i mean there's so many there's so many so many aspects of this that i love we could you know do a whole long episode just on this but well so within that there's there's adverse reactions we might be adding in inflammation mm -hmm. to the relationship to the body to the joint to the tissue you know it's, it's, it's like the the consequences of that can look like essentially self-destruction mm -hmm. like dude like you can see from the outside it's like dude you're destroying your relationship because you're such a fucking jealous <laughs> asshole <laughs> like you need to release like let it breathe yeah you know it's like oh man like you're destroying your connective tissue because you're literally you're suffocating at a cellular level through the constriction mm -hmm. Anyway, sorry. It's not. It's not just a metaphor or a nice thought exercise. It's really true. The way that we react to physical stressors is the way that we react to psychological stressors. Is the way that we react and respond to life around us. And I think that one one of my kind of guiding principles in in communicating about new fit is this notion, this concept that it's not as much about what happens to us as it is about how we respond to it. And we can you know, you could, you could throw me a pen and I could say, oh, great. I needed to take a note. Thank you. Or, or I could say, fucking threw me a red pen. Like, don't you know, I like blue. Like, why is the world always hate me? Yeah. You know, true. I mean, like the same thing could happen. I could see it through two totally different lenses and I can respond in two totally different ways. And that's a huge part of the conversation around, you know, of course, life and psychology, interpersonal relationships, and also movement and you you can't divorce the two i mean that it's really a real big deal and another interesting part of this is to look at the relationship between structure and function because if we're in that state where we're holding on creating tension or locked in a certain zone here our tissues are are dumb in the sense that they just do what the nervous system tells tell the muscles just do what the nervous system tells them to do and our tissues just are you know kind of along for the ride in the sense that if I'm only in this posture, you know, like like you talk about a lot of spending too much time at the computer driving and only having the arms in front of us in this forward flex posture, if I'm only in that position, then my connective tissues are going to shorten. Not only will my brain start to think that anything outside of that might be dangerous because I don't experience it, but my tissues will also shorten so that over time, even if I want to go through this process of showing my brain what these new ranges are like, my tissues aren't going to be able to accommodate it. I'm going to have to open them back up also. So there becomes, initially it's a functional issue and it becomes a structural issue because the tissues shorten and keep us constrained there physically. And I think there, there's probably even a metaphor there about behavioral patterns and people getting locked into certain, certain patterns of interaction and behavior and things like that too. So there's a lot of ways to go with that, but absolutely yes. I mean, the way that we handle physical stress gives us great insight into how we handle psychological stress and how we are with people and how resilient we can be in handling everything that happens to us in life. I mean, I, I love that. Yeah. 
the guy Victor Frankl wrote *Man's Search for Meaning*. His, his approach to psychology called it called it logos therapy, and you know, said that, like the all the, the the having knowing your why. You know, that's I think probably originally probably originally Victor Frankl, probably I don't know Aristotle or somebody like that before that. But within that logos therapy, was coming into changing. He described himself to be like a like a like a an optometrist like he's changing people's perspective you know so it's not it's it's if you can if you come in to see me and you can change your perspective then suddenly we can change the whole picture of of everything around you um i think it's it's an interesting thing to be able to start to communicate that that structure and function changing your perspective through the structure you know so where does a person start to 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 start to work from either bottom up or top down the top down would be kind of changing your perspective to change the the structure um, and then the bottom up might be changing the actual quality of the connective tissue or the orientation of the joints in order to for the person to maybe start to feel more stable or more I don't know strong confident flexible whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Would you typically come to that problem with a person more from top down or more from bottom up or like what would your starting point be with someone? That that's a a great question and obviously different methods you know some methods being more structural are going to start there a lot of the manual therapy techniques some being more exercise based and functional are probably going to start more on that functional side i would say that we want to start functionally even if that means just going through that mapping process in that first session that we described there because there often will be some low hanging fruit if you will there there's going to be you know if we talk about mobility there if we talk about mobility just of my elbow joint here there's going to be some component of it that's functional, some component that's structural. And if I'm guarding and protecting here, if I break through that, I might be able to get get a, you know 30 degrees more elbow extension just like that by, by breaking through and making that functional change. But I might still have 15 more degrees to go as that joint capsule changes, and that's going to take longer to remodel the joint capsule. So I, I would like to see first if there's any functional blocks that we can work through any areas where the neurological guarding protection excessive tension is is limiting range work through that first and then try to work on the remaining cap joint capsular or connective tissue issues and you know we'd want to use this new function to help create muscle activation in those new ranges of motion so that we can create the right the right load and forces to help help uh, optimize and accelerate the process of tissue remodeling as we work on the structural component of it. But I, I would like to work on the functional first for those reasons. With working with your device is called the Nubi. Yes, for neurobioelectric stimulator. Yeah, so that's your your flagship device. That's kind of it's kind of like the the Mercedes of these eStim devices. Is eStim appropriate to say electrical stimulation? Is that is that do you feel like that's denigrating? To say eStim. It's it's it definitely falls under the umbrella. It's you know it's an electrical modality but definitely a specialized niche within there too is, what would you say is there anything that you can do with the newbie that you could you could not do without it anything that we can do with the newbie with that, an e-stim device that, that you could not do with say i don't know acupuncture or gua sha or some type of corrective exercise modality or you know and it's like is there something is there anything or is it? Is it? Because I think sometimes it's interesting when when we do have some type of supplemental 
new, you know, nutritional supplement or, or device or whatever it may be, typically it's, it's replicating something that would organically happen mm -hmm. in nature. Right. You know, so I, is there, is there anything that an e-stim device can do that just cannot be done in nature? So with the newbie, when we're creating feedback. Or is it replicating something that, you know, that, that, that would manifest? That's exactly. If that, the environmental conditions were appropriate. That's exactly exactly where I'm where I'm going with that. What we're really doing is replicating the same neurological signals that happen during movement, during proper movement through through ex, you know extreme excellent complete ranges of motion at the right velocity with the right coordination patterns. So we're re we're really replicating and duplicating that. So that's something that one can do on their own through you know through various movement practices. The issue is that it's going to take a long time. This can help break through a lot of those those um, challenges. You know, a lot, a lot of times move, with a new movement practice, it can feel like pushing the boulder uphill, where we're, we're having to fight that uphill battle all the time. Where this can help break through, so that we can learn to activate that glute medius, or get that extra 15 degrees of external rotation in the shoulder, or or work through the pain that's preventing us from getting into a deep squat position, or whatever it is. It can help us help us do that so that we can have a more effective movement practice. And the other parts that you can do with this are so 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 there in terms of in terms of restoring movement, I'd say it's the same you know the same type of thing as movement, just a lot more significant or effective or amplified. It's going to amplify the effects of of what a movement practice would bring. And the other components of it have to do with that direct current field, with using specific frequencies to to send energy and, and blood flow and nutrients to specific tissues that might need healing. So there, again, it's, it's not taking the place of the body's natural healing process. It's just guiding it, coaching it so it can happen faster or more completely or more efficiently. Yep. And so in both realms, I'd say, yeah, it's not, it's not replacing anything that happens naturally. It's just, it's just either kicking it into gear if it's stalled yep. or causing it to, to happen more quickly or more significantly. Very excited to share something that has been a game changer for my strength development and overall energy levels that is supplementing with essential amino acids. I highly recommend going back and listening to the episode with Angelo Keeley. He goes deep into the nerdy science of why this matters so much. What I really like about supplementing with essential amino acids, particularly from Keon, one, it tastes delicious. So I add a scoop of it to my water bottle before or after I work out or just really anytime throughout the day. Another thing that's really great about supplementing with essential amino acids is you are increasing your protein intake while not increasing your overall calories throughout the day. So if you're looking to lose weight, but you want to be meeting your protein demand, tossing a scoop or two or three of this into your water bottle throughout the day is a fantastic idea. And you can get yourself a 20% discount by going to getkion.com slash align. That's G-E-T-K-I-O-N.com slash align for 20% off of your purchase of Kion's essential amino. What I value about your approach with the, the new fit method and just generally the way that you work with people from what I've, I've, I've seen here is the integration of movement patterns along with the electrical stimulation. Because I think that if it's like the, the you know, whatever, those like abersize stem <laughs> things you like wear in an airport and just like contract your abs, but there's no functional association. There's no functional connection to that. You know, and I, I think if a person's maybe ever seen like a really high level coach for 
maybe like Olympic weightlifting or like a really good, maybe like a, like a yogi, you know, like a yoga therapist or something of the sort, taking you through certain positions, they can see from the outside looking in. Now, sometimes you can't read your own label from inside the mm-hmm. jar kind of thing. When you're in there, like you're doing the best you can. Like you think, you think you're, you're doing like, as good as you possibly can do. Y- you feel like you're straight because you're no used to it, but you're shifted over to the right. Yeah. Or that, that sort yeah. Of thing your nervous right systems. I don't think your nervous system, I think your nervous system ultimately is, is benevolent. I don't think it's like actually ever turning against you, mm-hmm. even though it may seem that way at times, like it's doing the best it can with the information that it has at its disposal and to protect us. Right. It's all survival and protection. So yeah. it, it does have our back. Yeah, it does. Ha- it does have your back, even though 80% of Americans will have back pain <laughs> at some point in their lives. And then it slowly diminishes after age 60, which is interesting. So it's just another interesting thing. I'm like, huh, what happens after, as you get to be an older person, then you just, maybe you just start to say, fuck it. <laughs> it's, maybe. Not, you know, it's not as much of a thing. Correlates with, with like standard retirement age or 65 yeah, or something like that. Yeah, that, right. But that, yeah. that, that tension, that contraction mm-hmm. of like trying to, you know, whatever, save up for retirement and, mm-hmm. you know, like dating and like working your way through the social hierarchy and all this like, Ugh. You know, there can be a lot of tension in that. And then at some point, the you know, the, the human story, the narrative probably comes to a point where you start to kind of just like, you don't really have much of a choice other than to start to let go a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, having a coach. So if you have, say, a yoga, yoga therapist or Olympic weightlifting teacher, coach, guide, you might go through a snatch movement or a, you know, a down dog. And they can see the, the, the shape of your shoulder girdle or your hips or whatever it may be is such that you're you're inevitably going to be inhibited in the muscles that allow stabilization of that movement. And so they can guide you into a new position and then maybe they'll like with their fingers they'll tap on a certain area say here activate this space. You'll see that this a lot with like bodybuilding. You know someone's working on their mid traps or low traps or rhomboids or whatever and they've got some bro dude tank top guy sweating behind you yelling at you while he's like tapping you in the mid back to really get that retraction of the shoulder girdle the scapula. And then your body starts to learn. Says, "Oh, okay, cool. I knew I knew how to do this. Mm-hmm. It's just been one year, ten years, six months, or whatever since I've done this." And I think that that's what the newbie device does well. I think it acts as that coach to come through and say, "I know that you've been inhibited in this space for for X amount of time frame, and I know you're doing your best. But if we start to engage these parts, suddenly you'll be able to really have more, um, you know, like an integrated structure." And the, the, what's really interesting about that, I would say definitely yes to everything you said. And if you use, you know, a traditional electrical stimulation device just to contract that muscle, you you kind of become dependent on it to some degree for it to continue to do that for you. Whereas with this, with, you know, we talked again on, on the front end about direct current and this way to interact with the nervous system to create change and create learning, motor learning. The cool thing about this is I can't tell you how many dozens, maybe hundreds of times now I've heard someone say, I came in for a session on the newbie and then I went to the gym and I could actually feel my glutes working for the first time in God knows how long, or I could feel my lats contracting on a pull down or on a row for the, for the first time I can remember. And the beautiful part there is that they get that coaching and the uh, cueing and that barrage of neurological input in such a way that they learn to do it better on their own. So they actually become less dependent on the device over time. They learn to do it on their own because there's actually a neurological change happening. And like you said, you know, our nervous system, it's got our back and there. So when it, when it learns something, especially something that's, that's right, that, that allows for more efficient movement, it will pick up on that. It'll go in that direction. 
And it's really cool how, how that, you know, that coaching and cueing, you know, in the hands of a master coach who can identify these, these things, you know, some may, they may even be able to, to skip that mapping process. You know, the, the mapping process is what you know, we described earlier, dragging the pad, scanning around to identify where there's any, any deficiencies, issues, things like that. When you put the pads there, it provides that cueing, that coaching to, to re-educate that area to, to improve function there. And when you do that, you learn how to activate those areas, especially like, like you said, we're combining with movement patterns. You can learn how to integrate those, you know, integrate the glutes into hip extension patterns or lunges or squats or deadlifts. You can learn how to integrate various parts of the, the thoracic spine or the shoulder muscles into a pitching movement or, or, you know, thoracic rotation into a golf swing or, yeah. or whatever it is. How many locations, if people were interested in, and I don't want to turn this into a, a, a pitch for the newbie, but I think it's a great device and I think it, you know, it has a lot of, a lot of value. And I think it's, it's definitely worth checking out if you are a person that's has some type of chronic pain thing or just, or just want to be stronger, more flexible, like more fully integrated, like mm-hmm. have all of the, be firing in all cylinders. How many locations do you have? Like how do people actually, and if, if it's not specifically going through you, like is there other places that you send people? So the, the device is in use in, at, at the time we're sitting here talking about this today, 200 something clinics mostly here oh, wow. in the, mostly here in the US but there's a, you know we're a couple in in some other countries too so so if anyone's interested I'd encourage you to, to go to our website I think actually I think we're going to do a, a a book giveaway too so we're going to uh, anyone who's listening who's interested in learning more you can go to new.fit/align so neu like neurological new.fit/align like like the right. name of the podcast of course and right. uh, there'll be a link on there so you can v- uh, check out the directory to find practices that uh that have the newbies so you can try it out if you're injured if you're in pain if you're looking to optimize movement or athletic performance you know any anything along that continuum of care i think it would be worth going and trying on a session for sure and then yeah um if you're interested in a copy of the book we got a few that we're going to give away go and go to that I website think. and enter uh enter your name and name and email in there i didn't realize there was 200 so that's all is that throughout the united states is that other countries uh i don't know the exact number right now there's um probably 200 or so here in the u.s and then there's you know a dozen one to two dozen in canada a handful in australia a couple in in europe now we're just starting to get get devices and get get certified practitioners in some of those other continents Mm. what have you what stumbling blocks have you come to along the way of working with people with with this type of therapy is there any things where you like there was something you were expecting and you still weren't able to, to scratch it you know the the most frustrating times have been in those situations, and you know this definitely have been learning experiences. Times where where you know someone's come in with chronic back pain, and we think we're going to help them because we've been able to help so many people with back pain, but we can't. And it turns out that it's because they have very severe stenosis, for example. Mm. And so those times where or someone has knee pain, we think we can help them, but you know, it turns out their degeneration is so bad that they do need a knee replacement. Yeah. And there are times when we run up against these structural limitations that are so severe that, you know what, they probably are going to need surgery. A lot of times I think surgery is overprescribed and, and is, is um, performed when it might not be needed, but there's times when it's necessary. There's times when it is truly is the best path. And thank goodness there are skilled surgeons for those situations. And the, when, you know, when we can do several sessions and see that we are running up against that structural block and we just aren't able to make the type of progress that we wish to make, then 
If we've tried that, that, you know, more conservative, less invasive approach first, and we truly aren't able to make progress, then going for surgery becomes a, you know, I think the right choice, but given the person's circumstances and everything, but those are the, those are really the ones that stand out in my mind of where we just can't make the the type of progress because we are limited by the amount of structural damage or degenerative changes and, you know, we're just really limited in what we can do. How consistently successful are you with chronic pain with using the newbie? I would say very high. I mean, we've got a lot of case studies in, in the realm of looking at, you know, patients with chronic pain syndromes like fibromyalgia, like CRPS, chronic or more orthopedic in origin type pain. We've seen a lot of success there. Where the where the roadblocks are are either you know, like I mentioned, if the the structural problems are so severe, or if there's the chronic pain is associated with like some sort of more severe, you know, metabolic fibromyalgia can have some like metabolic or other like foundational health issues within the body. Sometimes those need to resolve first before we can make the breakthroughs in this functional neurology realm. Mm. What about um, like? like multiple or like MS or different type of neurological disorders. Is that, has, has there been much, much usage with that? So that has actually become an area that you know, I, I didn't, I set out really initially working with people like me, you know, athletes looking to recover faster from injuries, looking to optimize their function, get stronger. And so the, the first time we worked with a, a neuro patient, was was really interesting but it opened my eyes to this world this amazing way that we can help people in in really really profound ways i mean we've now we've got you know a whole team here uh, a couple physical therapists um and then our our uh, we have a phd neuroscientist who's our, our director of research who's overseeing studies and then research partners and we're seeing how using the new fit method the newbie device and tapping into the power of neuroplasticity can help MS patients, you know, some we've seen get out of wheelchairs, walk again, regain their autonomy, get their driver's license back, not have to have caregivers at home, you know, in, in the more extreme cases, spinal cord injury patients who have gotten out of wheelchairs, been able to walk again or restore function, restore sensation, stroke patients who have been able to regain dexterity and, and mm. control of their limbs. And um, so we've seen some really cool, really cool things happen there. It's been extremely gratifying and rewarding. And it really speaks to neuroplasticity, the ability of the nervous system, you know, two or three decades ago, we thought that when someone was brain injured or when there was an injury to the peripheral nerves that, you know, just couldn't, nerves couldn't heal or regenerate. But now we know sometimes they can heal or at the very least the brain can, can build a detour, can activate other areas to perform the same functions to compensate for the ones that were damaged or that have gone offline. And the key to driving neuroplastic changes, one, the person has to have enough baseline foundational health to to create energy and have the raw materials necessary to, to build new neurological pathways to heal or create these detours. But in order to drive that, that's just the foundation. In order, in order to drive it, you need to have enough of the right kind of stimulation. And that means hundreds of thousands of repetitions of movement. It's like training to be a professional athlete at the highest level. But when you're, when you're a patient who's just had a stroke or traumatic brain injury or a spinal cord injury, or you have MS and you, you can't move your leg at all, you might be sitting there thinking, how the heck am I going to get hundreds of thousands of repetitions of, of moving my leg if I can't even do one, like, right? I, I can't even move at all. And so that's where creating the input using this direct current signal from the newbie device 
and driving that input as if that movement is happening, starting to activate those same neurological pathways, creating the stimulation to drive these adaptations and start to enable that person to tap into whatever capacity they have for neuroplasticity. We've seen some really profound, really profound changes happen within people. And you know, they, take, they tend to take longer to make these neurological changes. But you know, in 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 months and you know months of consistent work, you can accomplish what you know might normally take years or not happen at all. Yeah, and that's freaking cool. And then we, I I wonder because we're going to wrap up here in a minute. I'd like to just differentiate the difference between the different devices. So like a tens unit or like we mentioned like the PEMF or your device or like is there some way to simplistically categorize? those for a general understanding of like what's each one for what's the price point is there a is there a point where it's like you know that's just you just it's it's not supportive it's just noise to the system yeah absolutely so i I, based on what you said there i'd say there's three main categories two are electrical one within electrical alternating current and direct current yeah and then pemf is a is a pulsed magnetic field and it's really interesting we'll start starting there so the the pulsed magnetic field if we're talking about one of the kind of more typical, more powerful one, PEMF devices, you know, they go click, click, click. And each yeah. time it pulses, you feel as that magnetic field goes in, it actually causes charges to move in the body, just the same as the electrical field of direct current. And you'll feel like muscles contract with the impulses and you'll feel that energy being delivered and, and dispersing in the body and activating neurological pathways, which then in turn activate muscles, et cetera. And it says an interesting thing similar to your device where it finds the, the places of, I think they described it as like low charge. But they, they they find the injuries. Yeah. And so you lay in the bed and it's, oh, it's in my hip or my back or my shoulder. But there are mm-hmm. places that you already kind of suspected had issues. It will kind of seek those places out, which is interesting. So in, in that, there's a, there's a lot of overlap because the, the direct current signal is sending this impulse to an electric field. The magnetic signal is sending that, that, that direct magnetic field, that pulse of magnetic energy, and it causes charges to move and create electrical currents just the same way. So... There's actually a lot of overlap where if you take a wand and scan over with a with a PEMF device, you will just like you said, you'll you'll you can find areas that are that are hypersensitive where there's issues, and working on those areas can be very productive. So there's a, there's a lot of overlap there, and the the main differences are that that magnetic field is kind of more more general. Um, it can also it can like pass through the body a little more easily, whereas with the newbie device. It is a little more specific. You can get pads, you can get it more concentrated in certain areas. And you, you also, it's a lot easier to use it while you're moving. So you can help with, in this realm of neuromuscular function that we're mm-hmm. talking about, help incorporate the right muscles, the right movement pattern into the right movement patterns and, and create these, these outcomes that we're looking for here. So the PMF is usually a little more, more general, a little more, you know, health and wellness. This is usually a little more focused on, on movement, precision of, of neuromuscular activation so those are kind of the differences, the, the precision versus more general, the types of applications. The PEMF devices, you know, in terms of price points are actually a lot, a lot of times more expensive. Those are, you know, $25,000, $30,000 or more. The newbie device, fifteen dollars to $18,000, including the, the training and certification, everything for, you know, or, or custom programs if people are getting their own devices. And then contrast that with the alternating current devices now in the, in the third category. So those are the, the general e-stim devices that you, you know, you can do a little bit with, but you're just, you're just limited on what you can do. Those can be, you know, a few hundred dollars. So, so we're going from down in price from the PEMF 
to then the newbie in the middle, and then these these kind of other electrical stimulation devices. And I know we talked a lot about direct current and alternating current on the front end, but those are the the tens devices, and those are the ones that are typically in that you know few hundred dollar sub one thousand dollar price range. And part of the reason they're so inexpensive is because of the engine the the engineering that's required. So in order to create that signal, it's it's a lot easier. Whereas with the direct current signal, there's a lot more that goes into it to be able to get that current into the body without stinging and burning the skin. It's just a lot more a lot more sophistication. And so, does that does that those yeah, three categories right. does that kind of help? And if somebody wants to buy a, a newbie, do you have to be a physical therapist or a chiro or some type of therapist, or is it like how, how does that that work if people are interested in having having one for themselves? Yeah. So so if someone's going to use it personally, they just ne- would need uh, to do a telehealth visit either with a physician uh, or you know one of the practitioners on our team, or have their their physician sign a script for them to get a device, and then we could create a custom program. Um, but but more more people far and away are using it professionally. So if, yes, if you want to use it with patients, clients, in any of these ways that we've been discussing, you either yourself need to be a, a licensed practitioner or or work with somebody who will provide that type of oversight. So if you know if there are trainers or massage therapists that use it, they just use it in a facility where there's a medical director or they have a relationship with someone who's a credentialed practitioner who who provides that type of oversight and support. Great. Cool. And we can provide all the, the links and everything for, you know, where they can find one or maybe if people do want to get one for themselves in the in the show notes. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate making time diving into what the freak is going on in this human experience. I love it. Where should people go from here? So I would definitely, you know, if you're interested in learning more, I encourage you to go to that new.fit slash align page. If you're into the social media thing, we're most active on Instagram. Check us out, New Fit. RFP for rehab, fitness, and performance. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. Over now. Thank you all once again for tuning into that conversation. And I want to thank you all for leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts. I want to thank Victoria.yoga specifically for leaving her review. Appreciate you all doing that. It's a great way to support the podcast. I read all of them and uh, it's just great to get to hear what you all think about it. If there are particular parts of this conversation that you found insightful or interesting, por favor, tag myself and Garrett on the Instagram. You tag me at Align Podcast. You can tag Garrett at New Fit RFP. That's N E U F I T R F P. Love seeing what y'all thought about the podcast. Once again, appreciate y'all tuning in. Appreciate you sharing it. Appreciate you doing you. That is it. That is all. See you next week.